0: american actually
1: (laughs) that is dominoes it's a little italian sounding i guess
0: i gotta wear these headphones usually i take the headphones off uh but i gotta wear them if i'm gonna record this otherwise it'll i'll get feedback from my speaker so no seeing your ears yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. they're really nice ears i'll tell you Uh, philosophy.com right That's right. Yeah. Feedback every I, You know, what's funny is I say, you know, send send a feedback at brewlosophy.com in every episode and 99 percent of emails because I manage both of those accounts. Ninety nine percent go to Marshall at (laughs) brewlosophy.com. And they when they come to feedback, I can act like it's somebody else managing it, you know. But when they come to mine, it's like, well, of course, that's me. Right
2: okay j- just fair warning I think uh, we're about to get started but uh, I think right before yeah. um, I introduce you I'm gonna hit the mute all on everybody just to make sure we don't get a whole bunch of feedback and random people talking uh, inevitably people will come in and I don't have an option to individually meet you guys I'm sorry I just have to mute all so Marshall you will have to unmute
0: yourself okay let me f- see how to do that well it, will it'll give me the option down at the bottom there yeah it's a microphone um, okay. Cool. But I'm gonna do that
2: right before we right right when when I'm about to announce you, I'm gonna mute everybody, unmute me, and then uh, you can unmute yourself and talk. And then just everybody who's on this call, you already know, since he's gonna record this, um, you know, I'll make the announcement again in a few minutes since people come on late. We we kinda wanna be really courteous about when we don't, you know, step over him too badly.
0: <laughs>
2: Otherwise, he's gonna start breaking out his clicker and we're gonna hear a click click
0: really loudly. Yeah, so you guys know about the clicker here? Uh
1: oh. Am I supposed to bark?
0: Yeah. It, it is a dog <laughs> clicker, actually. Uh, <laughs> it sounds just like I it. got four for $7 on Amazon, and they work quite well, actually.
1: What do you do with the other three?
0: I gave one to Cade <laughs> for the Brew Lab, and dead serious, my kids got the other two because they think they're fun to play with. <laughs>
1: So that's fun for you
0: um you know will one thing you might want to say when as people start to join is uh we we you know uh we'll give a little disclaimer in the episodes where we swear a little bit more that's usually just bruise views um but if people are gonna i, I don't care if people want to swear and do all that stuff but it will mean that we're gonna you know that's gonna nix some listeners um because there are people who listen with their kids in the car and they don't like swearing around their kids unlike some of us heathens um <laughs> so just a, just something if you want to you know let people know that this is going to be recorded and will likely be an episode of the philosophy podcast good to know yeah yeah
2: yeah so if you don't want your coworkers hearing you cussing on a uh tele- <laughs> on a podcast <laughs> here you
1: go cool yeah, well, kids. We'll
2: you after so we'll get started real quick guys um 2022 is flying by we're in the february meeting already which is awesome uh thanks to everyone who came out last month. Haven hooked us up with Brian Perky from Lalaman, and he was a great speaker, gave us some really cool info. Um, I, I don't know if you guys saw, but I believe next month we have a somebody, I don't know who he is, Vinny, somebody, Vinny Schlerzo, somebody from Russian River. Uh, super that? excited about that. Um, so um we we're excited. Like we want to put people up that we want to listen to. So any if y'all have ideas, if y'all have a hookup, um you know, let us know, and, and we're, we're, we 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 want to listen to people that y'all want to listen to, too. So just let us know about speakers. Um, I mean, I, I'm, our current speaker, who knows? We don't barely know this guy, but, you know, we really want great speakers in the future. We want to hear what you guys want to hear. Um, Pablo, did you want to talk about the sticker promo real fast? I wasn't chasing you out. I was just going to
3: make something myself to eat and then get out of here, so. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, you got to mute everyone, right? Yeah.
2: Awesome. Uh, okay, cool. Alex, you had something you wanted to ask about real
1: quick. Yeah, just real quick. Uh, for a variety of reasons, we'd like to register as a social club slash nonprofit with the IRS. But this might be a little bit complicated since we're almost entirely online with some international members. So if anybody in this call or listening has any experience with this problem, just reach out to me at alex at the because uh, yeah, do it soon. Because we'd like to get the paperwork done by the end of February, preferably. So back to you, Will.
2: Awesome. Okay. Cool. Um, really exciting stuff going on for the uh, TBC experiment series. Um, as you, most of you know, we've had several people already get published on the brewlosophy.com, uh website for doing experiments on behalf of the Brew Club. It's a really cool experience. I know Matt Skillstad was. Uh, getting data today for um, probably what's gonna be this month's article, we're hoping. And then I know there was another member that reached out to me um, about another experiment that we're getting in the getting in the works. And so guys, it's really cool. If you do an experiment, get a, you get it published one, which is cool enough. Um, two, you're gonna get entered into kind of a fan favorite contest to see who's gonna win a Delta firm tank uh, from from Delta Brewing Systems. So that's pretty awesome. So you can get some stainless for your yeast there. Um, and so it's kind of a cool deal. So if any of y'all are interested at it, you can hit me or Alex up on Facebook. Um, Alex at the Brew Club or Will at the You can email us there. Um, one of us will throw up those emails in the chat just in case you're interested and want to get that going right now. But that would be really awesome if you guys want to do it. And it's a lot of fun to do. You get to kind of experience the process. And like Marshall always says, go test it out for yourself. And it really is kind of hard when you get in that triangle test. So um, cool stuff. I mentioned earlier, uh, meeting next month is Saturday, March 5th. We're going to hopefully be featuring Vinny Chalerzo with uh, Russian River. Maybe you've heard of Pliny the Elder. I actually got my hands on my first one uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I finally know what the hype is all about, about a decade too late. But that's pretty awesome. Um, all right, Haven, I'm going to mute everybody real fast just for fun, and then uh, you can unmute and talk about average bu- Bruce. Sounds good. Okay, I think I did it.
3: All right, I think so too. All right, <clears throat> average bruise, the first survey is done. We made it through. I thought we were going to get about 15 to 20 responses. We actually ended up with 91 responses, which is just wild. That's more exposure than I thought we were going to have with this thing, which is fantastic. I'm glad that that people were were into giving data for the survey, and, and we came up with an awesome recipe, or a guideline, a recipe, I should say, um, I won't go through every aspect of the recipe. I know I'm sure everyone can read here. So I did drop the picture in the chat. Um, Pavel made a great graphic showing everything. Um, so now we're into creating our recipe and brewing it. So we're going to be able to, I've, I've noticed not a uh, few people already going ahead and doing that um, on Discord and um, Facebook. I think someone posted today that they brewed their beer, which is great. I mean, we're already already doing something with this which is fantastic to see um we have heard your suggestions on doing a little bit more instead of just you know like the old college post on a discussion board and and respond to two of your peers kind of stuff we're going to go beyond that we're we're already in the in looking into different possibly mass entering competitions doing maybe an informal T V C competition um something like that we're, we're looking, so if you have any ideas of how you'd like to see this progress in the future, anything more, you know, other than just posting about our beer and discussing it on the groups, if you have other ideas on how we can improve this and, and go further with our beers, that'd be great. I think Doug brought up sending a bunch of bottles to me and watching me get progressively more drunk throughout the evening, tasting all the average brews beers. I'm up for it. If we wanna pick a member every, every quarter and send them a bunch of beers and watch them get drunk on camera, that's cool too. Um, we do have a very very special opportunity that kind of fell into our lap this quarter um so watch the facebook group later this week for that you guys are going to want to brew your beers and have them ready i'm not going to say anything further but it's going to be pretty dang cool so that's that's pretty much all i got on it if you have any questions haven at the brew club.com shoot me a facebook message i'm always on the computer so i'll i'll get back to you as soon as possible and we can we can get this thing rolling um, and if we need to help you create a recipe too, we'll absolutely do that as well.
2: That is awesome. Thank you so much. Haven for, for laying that out for us. Um, now that we've got a few minutes of housekeeping taken care of, um, we're really excited. We have the philosopher himself joining us. I think he's going to answer whatever random questions we have. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, just a forewarning, since this may be recorded and may go on a podcast, there, there may be some swearing and colorful language. So for people listening at home, we want to make sure that, uh, you know, if, if that's the kind of thing you're not into, you got kids in the car, or whatever, um, there may be some swearing, colorful language that we're not going to be uh, editing everyone here. Um, also, uh, if, if you don't want your coworkers to hear you swearing like a sailor on a podcast, this may be also a good time to uh, edit yourselves if you're on the meeting. So, without further ado, Marshall Shot, welcome. Thanks for coming over and joining us at the Brew Club.
0: Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. This, uh, which I understand, you know, is a brew philosophy based club. The fact that I'm here, uh, you guys have got some killer stuff going on and it's awesome to be kind of in the background for once when it comes to this stuff and to see how uh, you guys have, have are building so much rad stuff with this club.
2: Awesome. Well, since we just announced Average Brews, um, we were kind of curious to see. I know you just had a whole podcast about formulating your own recipes, um, but we we're kind of talking about, you know, w- what really is the best way for you other than posting it on a Facebook messenger stream? For uh, making your own recipes. And again, guys, make sure everybody mutes when they come on since this is being recorded. Uh, So, yeah. So what what is kind of your your way that you like to um, go about making recipes other than putting up a big poll on a Facebook group?
0: (laughs) I've never actually created a recipe by putting up a poll on a Facebook group. But I, uh, you know, recipe design is one of those things, I think. Uh, I get asked about an awful lot, and which is funny because it's not like I've ever uh, prided myself or, or you know, uh, on, on being a a great recipe designer. But I am all for the idea that simplicity uh, breeds, you know, some of the best stuff oftentimes. And, and that's the case when it comes to uh, brewing uh, beer. You know, you, you want to make sure that you're not over doing anything in particular um, with with the recipe and I, like i remember i tell this story uh, to new brewers often that my brother uh my, i have a twin brother um we're that means we were born on the same day obviously um uh and he was getting into home brewing you know the brew thing was up and do, doing its thing and he lives over out in buffalo new york i'm out here in california and he wanted to get brewing and so i i hooked him up you know i ordered all this stuff for him sent it out to him he was able to do his batch barge processes probably 12 years ago And, uh, or uh, seven years ago now, and he gets everything going. He brews his first beer. I told him, keep it very simple just to see if you know how to do it. Right. So he does it. He liked the beer. It was like a Simcoe smash beer. And then the next beer he made was a, uh, he wanted to make some sort of like maple brown, brown ale type of thing. And he sent me the recipe and it just had 15 different malts in it, you know, three different Hops, but they were all added at weird times because he read about, you know, bittering flavor and aroma. And I said, um, you know, cut out like 75% of your malts, make sure it's still brown do two hop additions for a brown ale and let's see where you go from there. Ended up being a fantastic beer. There was no maple. And I think he bottle conditioned with maple. Uh, and so I, I you know, shot him the calculator for that, but it was, it was awesome. And so again, there's just another kind of indicator to me that the more simple you go, sometimes you can still make very delicious beer. So when it comes to designing recipes, I very much start from a base of you know, about 80% base base malt, whether that's a blend of Munich and Vienna and pale malt and marisotter or whatever it might be. But then that 20% I kind of play with. And I might add, I might, you know, use Munich malt as a specialty malt because of the fact that it does, it is much more characterful than say pale malt, right? Or Pilsner malt. And so I use it for that often. And uh, yeah, and, and to, again, just to keep it simple and to make sure everything lines up, that's one of my favorite things about Brewfather or the other popular calculators that are out there is that you can kind of see where it falls within that BJCP guideline. The other nice thing is for people who don't care about sticking to the rules, right, to, to a specific style, which is great. It's nice to know, okay, it falls within this style. And here's where I'm going to tweak off of, but that's my personality. So I I kind of like that. So I'm going to, you know, twist the screwdriver a little bit here, turn the knob a little bit over here, and it may not fit exactly within say milk stout, but it's got these different characteristics. I can add some cinnamon, make it something all its own. Um, But I I like knowing that if I stick to this, I'm probably going to make a drinkable beer, a passable beer, and then I can start doing the other fun stuff on top of that.
2: That, that's awesome. Um, it, it sounds a little, a little more adventurous. I usually like to, uh, go pull the audience of recipes and kind of pull in what I think looks like a good recipe and then tweak from there. Um, so kind of, <laughs> I do that too,
0: actually will. Yeah, that is not, that's not a foreign thing for me though, though. I usually will go to friends of mine who have done, who, who I know have made these recipes. Cause it, for me, I just, I'm not a terribly cynical person, but I struggle trusting things that i find on the internet right it's just a. am maybe i'm old school i don't know but uh so i'll go to like I, I got a local friend sean wood who just the guy just knows how to brew right every beer he makes is phenomenal no flaws um and so usually if like for example if i'm making a belgian ale i'll hit him up Hey, I've never made a triple. How do I, you know, what's your recipe? And then I'll tweak it from there knowing that's the other thing. A lot of people don't pay attention to, uh, Andy and I were recently talking about this. I think on the last episode of the brew podcast is that something as simple as bitterness, you would think that, you know, oh, that guy used 25 grams of Magnum at 60 minutes and he got, you know, a nicely bitter beer, but on my system, I might need to use more to get the same level of bitterness for whatever reason some indescribable reason right and so usually when i'm making tweaks to somebody else's recipe stuff like that um but yeah you know, relying on established recipes that you know are going to be good that, that that's my thing i just like to you know defer to people who i know as opposed to the internet mostly but
3: so when well, first of
2: all up. it's on the internet it must be true um but but i i do have also noticed the whole um definitely bitterness especially like whenever you guys talk about your bitterness you need to add more you're not getting as much uh hop extraction i i saw alpha 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 isomerization whatever you want to call it um i've noticed that too in my system as well it just doesn't seem as bitter i always have to add a little more so that's cool
0: um i don't i wonder if that's like a homebrew thing uh, like the scale or something because I, i've definitely noticed that if i use for example uh there have been a few times i, I made a um what was it the brewing mirror pond pale ale they shared their recipe somewhere i brewed it you know a decade ago and when i made it that beer was it was really good but it was not nearly as bitter as the actual beer and i just wonder if there's a, it's a matter of scale right like on the on the on the 5 gallon batch scale versus a 50 barrel or whatever it is they're brewing up at the shoots You know, maybe their extract, their their isomerization is occurring in some different way. I don't know, but I definitely have to use more hops to to achieve the same level of bitterness on my system as uh, as other people do.
2: Yeah, and and Will in the chat said that maybe a difference in chilling time that could be some of it because again, it takes so much longer for them to chill their work down. Maybe they're just extracting that many more, you know, that much. isomerization of alpha, alpha acids. Um, and then Haven asked in the chat, kind of related to this as well, is do you keep your hop utilization listed at 100%, which is the default setting in Brewfather, or do you tweak that?
0: I always keep it at 100%. Uh, and so here's the thing. I went through a whole phase where I didn't, right? I I I would kind of nut out on... Oh man, these hops are six months old, so they've degraded by this much. And I've, so now I'm gonna just pretend the alpha acid is this much, but you know, and I it, honestly, it, I don't know why anybody would do that. And I've talked to people up in Yakima who, you know, they grow hops, they study hops, they know this stuff like the back of their hand, who are saying, yeah, there is some degradation, but it's not worth worrying about if you are storing your hops properly. I have a feeling, and I don't know this to be a fact, but I have a feeling that the whole degradation calculation i think it's what they say 15% per year in alpha acid or something like that that it's based on warm stored hops likely whole cone that are you know probably not even vacuum sealed or anything like that so you know my thing is just i just keep it the same and i'll go from there and i've yet to notice huge differences i mean we've done some interesting hop comparisons uh, you know for experiments um years apart and bitterness has never been the thing that we've perceived as being different so
2: awesome um just to go for some of the facebook questions we got earlier uh haven asked how did we go from small experiments in your garage to one of the biggest website podcasts in home brewing and then there's another part why did you decide to start a website, and when did you decide to bring in contributors? And what does the future hold for you guys? About three parts. I'll try to keep you on track if I can. <laughs>
0: I'm probably. First off, I didn't realize uh, that I, I've never viewed us as being one of the one of the biggest out there. But that's because I'm an idiot. Uh, so I don't I don't notice that thing. But I'm actually going to start by answering the first or the second question, which was what what made me decide to start a pot, or a, a website, right? Okay. So (laughs) I've told this story before. I, I never really intended to start one, but I had a friend who I was brewing with back in 2010 or so. I'd introduced him to brewing. We were brewing together every weekend, having a great time. And he ended up having to leave town for work. And so I'm stuck here going, all right, well, he was really my only local brewing friend. He was a buddy of mine that I introduced to it. So I need to find another group of of folks. So I found the local homebrew club, made some really close friends that I'm still really close with today. But there was something about like just brewing to drink didn't really, wasn't really satisfying me. And so I had the idea to start doing experiments or start start messing around with some ideas that I'd had in my head. And really the first thing that that was, was harvesting yeast from starters. Um, And so what I, I was doing this, I was showing all my friends and they're like, dude, this is great. That's like the cleanest yeast. It's better than harvesting from, you know, a yeast cake. And so somebody encouraged me to to write it up on Homebrew Talk. So I went over and did that. Well, that ended up getting shared on a, a bunch of different area, places. And uh, and so, so I started getting all of these, uh, you know, comments that people were saying, dude, you should start a website if you're going to do this kind of stuff. Uh, eh, you know, I don't think I want to do that. I don't know how to run a website. I'm an idiot when it comes to all of that kind of stuff. But I did go and kind of save the name "Brulosophy" over at WordPress.com uh, because I liked the way it sounded. I love philosophy. Uh, I'm a psychologist in my normal normal life, and I, you know, just kind of worked together. And then, uh, for no reason whatsoever, I built out two identical systems in my garage, uh, brewing systems, so that I could start experimenting, thinking that that would keep me interested in brewing, and it has. And that was really the genesis of the the website. So I had posted some stuff about the the yeast harvesting, and then the uh, what people nowadays call the brulosophy lager fermentation method. But you know, I. I it was right around the same time that i know uh mike tasty McDole, rest in peace a uh, good friend of brulosophy uh but that he was kind of promoting uh, this a similar idea um just based on similar you know thinking about uh fermentation and what we know about how that works but those those are really what kind of served to give brulosophy a name and then i started doing these experiments and w- within about five months i think we were I, there was no commitments it was just a stupid homebrewing blog back then within about five months I was getting you know people asking me hey we we, we love this kind of stuff can we contribute as well people started joining the, the crew and and here we are today I mean it just kind of grew it was like a snowball and it just kind of grew into this thing that it is today and I love it you know um it, it's it's been super fulfilling on a level that and I don't mean to sound like I'm dissing my profession but on a level that my real life profession doesn't give me this does the social part being able to be a part of stuff like this being able to travel talk to other like-minded people about about beer and brewing and the in the ways that i like to you know um and so that yeah that that's really what it was there was there was really no no impetus other than i'm bored and let's see what happens with this
2: so as far as the the future and what the future holds for philosophy um, that gives us a pretty good background. Is is there like um, some things you're definitely planning here in the near future? I know in the past, y'all have submitted some samples to different labs to get some more objective an- analysis. Is there any plan to kind of expand on the uh, perception testing or anything like that? Uh,
0: well, that's a good question. I, you know, we had some ideas, uh, nothing set in stone prior to COVID happening, but COVID really, really put a kink in a lot of stuff, uh, you know, from from merchandising to branding to uh, parties that we had planned with, with sponsors of brew We had to put a, you know, press the pause button on all of that stuff. We don't really have, um, plans to, to go any more into the objective side of the, and and that pisses a lot of people off. I understand that, but we really are more about the sensory side, uh, perception. That's that I'm a psychologist. That's what I like. I like perception. I like messing around with what people think they know and what they can prove they know. Right. Um, and so that we, we don't have anything set in stone at this point for, for, you know, further testing on the objective side of things in terms of the social side of things. We are really hoping that, that as you know, COVID starts to wane off. Um, we used to talk about it a bit on, on the podcast. Um, but, the, but our partners, uh, Yakima Valley hops and Haas, John, I Haas, um, we're, we're really hoping to start being able to, to move forward with some, some cool, uh, event ideas. That's all I'll say on that, but we've got some ideas, uh, that, that I think people are going to really, really dig. So.
2: That, that is awesome. And, and I think most of us really dig velocity because of the perception testing. Cause again, if you can't taste the difference, then does it really matter to you that much? Um, but again, there's always that objective portion that we're always curious about. So I can appreciate that.
0: Yeah. There, there, you know, there's, there's a, there's a unfortunate, I think, um, Kind of side effect if you will of releasing data on sensory analysis is that people uh, a, a small subsect but there, there are people out there who will perceive what we're doing as being telling you know people that that they need to brew a different way or they don't need to do this certain process or whatever it might be and that is i i don't i i feel like i've said it a bazillion times and it doesn't matter they're gonna hear it that way anyways but we are not trying to tell people how to brew that is not what we're in the business of doing we are are here to provide interesting fun stuff for people who are interested in brewing and beer to read you know when they don't have anything better to do and if that happens to influence the way they brew so be it we have no control over that if it influences them and they end up enjoying their brew day more then you know what we'll take a little bit of credit for that that's cool but it, it, this whole idea that we're out here trying to tell people that you know mashing for 60 minutes isn't necessary we've never said that you can do whatever you want. All we're saying is that people weren't able to distinguish these beers or they were able to distinguish these beers given these conditions. Make of that what you will, right? And so it we we are often misperceived, right? But that's okay. That's okay with
2: man, us. And Marshall, why do you keep telling me how to brew? I don't understand it,
0: man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All you have to do. I mean, we you know, we we've we've made a concerted effort to not be defensive online because that only makes people look more and more, like maybe they are guilty of whatever they're being accused of, but j- just go look at you know every week when we publish when when we share our stuff on Facebook, our you know the Brulosophy, uh Facebook page or whatever, there is a whole diatribe of people who are miss uh, perceiving what it is that we're actually trying to do. And we just kind of leave it alone and let these people hash it out themselves. I I don't know what to make of it. You know, uh, I I like to think that I've got a decent grasp of the human condition, but there are some people who really just want others to know, you know, that they don't think what we're doing is right. And so, Hey, we'll let you do it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to delete your comments. I don't care.
2: I think there's a really cool psychology component that I would love to dive into you with, but I don't think this is the appropriate platform, but I think there's a lot to do with ritual and some of those things, but uh, that's for a different time.
0: Um, I, we so could do a I'm, whole show on that, Will. I'm telling you. <laughs> dude,
2: I'm, I'm in for it. Like the whole psychology of, of perception bias and ritual and all those things, I'm down, but, but I don't know if that's where we're going to go here. Maybe at the end, if we have time, um, <laughs> but, uh, Edvin, Eddie Thor, he was on the, the Facebook group and he asked, um, about you or any of the contributors have further experience besides home brewing in the brewing world. Um, he wants to know specifically about working in a brewery, Cicerone, similar kind of levels. Um, and he wants to know about uh, brewers and pros for your articles and interviews. Uh, and, and if, if we want to start including them into the equation, I know that's another multi-parter, but people, people got some good questions, man.
0: It's all good. Uh, so do, so I have not, ever been paid to be a professional brewer i have been a part uh, i've been friends with people who are commercial brewers you know i've I've brewed with them i've been around while they're brewing beer all of that. i'm not sure what you know how how getting paid to do that would make you any better of a of a brewer but i i actually uh, some of the best beers i've had in my life have come from home brewers so i i, I tend to kind of sway on that side of things more than i do that this idea that oh just because you're a commercial brewer i've had some of the worst beers from from you know commercial breweries. So I think most of us can probably relate with that, right? You go to a brewery, you're really excited to have a beer and it ends up tasting like chlorine water. Um, But no, I, I, so I am not a professional brewer. I am a, I'm a professional podcaster. If you will, that's what somebody else told me that you can't, you know, they, they said, don't shy away from saying you're a professional podcaster because that's what a podcaster does. Right. And so, okay, fine. I'll own that. Uh, Cade Job. In fact, he is the host of the brew lab. But he's also a contributor uh, for Brewosity. He he does the experiments. He does all of that. He is uh, currently in uh, at Oregon State University in their food and science program for the for the brewing uh, industry stuff. And his hopes are to be a professor of the brewing sciences when he finishes up. He was recently accepted by Tom Shellhammer's group up there. It's, if you guys don't know Tom Shellhammer, he's very well known in hop research. Uh, uh, huge name in hop research. Wonderful person. Uh, he also, uh, Cade also worked at blue owl, uh, as a commercial brewery. So he's got, he's got that as well, uh, down in Austin, Texas, before he moved up to, uh, Oregon. Uh, let's see. Andy Carter is the president of the California homebrewers association. So he is not a professional brewer, uh, but he has his, uh, he, he's knee deep in the homebrewing world. We'll put it that way. And he is very close, similar to me. He's very close to all of his local, uh, uh, you know, uh, commercial breweries down there in Southern California. California, where he, where he lives and operates. Um, Let's see here. Um, I, you know, there, there's so many, it's, it would be hard for me to list it all off because it's, I've been drinking for one, but also uh, (laughs) there's just uh, too much stuff to, to talk about. I think most of us understand that, that, you know, just because you're a commercial brewer, one doesn't make you a better brewer, two doesn't make you a better taster. That's one of the weird arguments that I'll hear from people often is, well, how do you know, you know, your tasters just suck. Well, you are those tasters. I mean, are you saying that you're better than these people? Because that's not how I operate. You know, uh, I, I tend to presume that most people have palates, and if you have a palate, then you are a participant. You know, you're a potential participant. Um, so that I guess that's kind of where I'm at, I'm at. I don't I don't mean to get too defensive, but uh, we've got people who are kind of plugged into the commercial world. We've got people who have been homebrewing for decade plus. So.
2: I always compared like homebrew to commercial brew is kind of this like, you know, it's like when you smoke a brisket at home versus the guy that's smoking a hundred of them in a day. Like if it's your baby and you're babysitting it for your 15 hours, like you're going to make sure that it turns out the best that it can be versus if you're making like a hundred of them in a day, you're like, okay, we just got to get these through the assembly line. We got to make (laughs) a buck. And so I, I kind of always liked that analogy. Um, but I'm also from Texas, and I eat a lot of brisket. So
0: <laughs> we don't eat very much brisket here. We're we're here in Fresno, Central Valley is all about tri-tip. And uh, man, I'll tell you. And I, I hear people smoke tri-tip like brisket, but it doesn't come out nearly as good. So,
2: well, it, it's uh, you, you definitely can't overcook your tri-tip. I've cooked one or two, and you don't want to overcook it. That's for no, sure.
0: No, that's a, That's a sin. Yes.
2: So now that we're talking about food, that kind of leads into Will Allward's question, which is, what is your go-to pizza? on pizza making night or pizza ordering night if you don't make a lot of pizza.
0: Oh man. Uh well first off I make my own dough and people I've I've actually gotten emails from people who are like what dough do you go with what dough style? Neapolitan. It's simple, it's easy, it's clean. Uh it's you're looking at just flour and I tend to go for about uh, 70% hydration give or take depending on how I'm feeling on that day. But all you're using is is flour. And I, I've actually found this sounds really hoity-toity, but I found that a blend of bread flour, a 50-50 blend of bread flour, and all-purpose flour really does. I like the I like the bite that I get out of that. The way that I make pizza, maybe different for others, but um, but yeah, you're looking at flour, salt, and water, and then yeast, and that's it. And it's super simple. And everybody in my household likes that the best so far. And we've done you know, Sicilian, American style, all these different t- styles of, of dough. So that that is where I go with uh, for the dough side. Um, we always, always, always start with a, just a cheese pizza as an appetizer. And I'll put garlic on there and a little bit of uh, maybe like Italian seasoning and that's it. And some olive oil, bring it out. The kids who don't like all the toppings will pig out on uh, three quarters of it, and the rest of us will just have little nibbles while we're waiting on the other pizzas. So here's the thing: I I love pineapple on pizza, and I know that is like a sinful thing for a lot of people out there. So we always we always make a Hawaiian pizza. Half of it I'll do with onion and jalapenos. The other half is just cheese, Canadian bacon, and pineapple. Or I actually prefer. The chopped up, you can go to the store and buy chopped up tiny little cubes of ham, which I like better than Canadian bacon. And that's so that's what we'll use often on that. But the one pizza that my family forces me to make every time we do pizza night is barbecue chicken pizza with sweet baby rays uh, as the instead of red sauce as the sauce on it. And it is so good. And we stack it up. I cook up, I smoke up some chicken breasts. Uh, you know, earlier in the day, I let them cool off in the fridge, chop it up into small little chunks, put that on there with some green onion cheese. Oh, to die for. Yeah.
2: I might be emailing marshall at com here in about five minutes to exchange uh, <laughs> pizza recipes here. Um, that, that sounds pretty awesome. If I hadn't just eaten, I would be salivating right now. So I'm sorry to those of you who haven't eaten yet. Uh, <laughs> so an- another one for uh, from the Facebook group was uh, Doug Walker, uh, in a recent episode, you mentioned that even though your experiments showed non-significant results, you have no plans to change your process. So I think he's saying that even though you get some things that are non-significant that should potentially be significant, right, uh, according to objective data, you know, why aren't you trying to change your process? So so with that in mind, what are some of the processes that you will continue to do even though your experiments have indicated it's, n- it's not going to have an impact on what some of the processes? Huh? Let me make sure I'm reading this right even though some of your processes and experiments have shown it would, it would have an impact. So oh, I, that it
0: would have an impact.
2: All right. So you don't even, even though you, your experiments have shown that it would have an impact. So I, I think part of this is processes. Cause I think, um, I know you guys do several that don't get significant, even though there, there probably is an objective difference to some degree. And so I guess he's wondering if, if y'all are going to change some of your processes in order to look at, uh, you know, have have I guess have more conclusive or maybe uh, different data. If Doug's on here, he can clarify in the chat as
0: well. Oh, well, the how voice. about that? Oh, I hear you, Doug. Go for it.
4: Um, so specifically, um, what are some things you will keep doing, even though your research says uh, your data points say doesn't matter? And what are the things that you won't start doing, even though your data points say it would make a difference?
0: Oh, oh, there we go. Okay, uh, things that I'll we'll keep doing, even though the data says it doesn't matter, is I think a perfect example of that is, is mash length, right? The, how, the duration of your mash. And the main reason is that it, it, while it doesn't matter, I put that in quotes, uh, what we found is up until about 30 minutes of a mash rest, um, you will get progressively more uh, extraction, right? We know that. After about thirty minutes, you're you're not getting much more, uh, maybe two or three percent more efficiency. Not worth worrying about. But there's a huge benefit to a sixty-minute mash because it allows you to prep everything else in your brew day, measure out your hops, you know, start warming up your your strike water if if you if you do a a, a sparge, all of that stuff, and it just makes it less hectic. If any of you have ever done a genuine short and shoddy brew day. I mean, two hours. You imagine all the stuff you have to get done. I'm I, now, I'm lucky enough to have a two hundred and forty volt setup uh, electric setup, but two hours is is usually right about where I'm done and putting the fermentation vessel in the the chamber or, you know, pitching my yeast. I'm telling you, it, it, it's hectic. You're moving around the entire time. If you were to extend your mash rest to an hour, extend your boil to an hour, chill, you know, do all that. So if you're looking at a four to five hour brew day, I'm doing it in two hours. It's hectic. So the so like you know doing a sixty minute mash is something that it, when I'm not brewing for short and shoddy is something I would still do uh, because it just slows the brew day down a little bit. For me, the way I look at it is, well, I'll just start mashing, do all of this stuff. and if I come back and it's only been fifty four minutes, I'm not gonna wait those extra six minutes, which is what a lot of people do. You know, I gotta wait a full hour, you know, because if you don't, it, that's not right. That's not what the recipe says. Um, that's really more how I view the ones that are non-significant. Now for the ones that have been significant that I'll keep doing anyways, is that what you're asking? Yes. Okay. Uh, so we've shown with certain yeast strains, uh, and, and I forget the, the delineation here, but there's, you got your Froberg and your Sots lager yeast strains. And, Um, some of them are more robust, uh, like the vine Stefan 3470 or, uh, Imperial yeast global. You can ferment that at 70 degrees and it's going to taste the same as if you fermented it at 50. There are people out there who are going to scoff at that, who are going to say, "We're there's obviously something we're doing wrong, but we have done this multiple times and you just can't taste a difference. It's so robust. It's a good, clean fermenter. And in the world of biology, that's not a huge difference in temperature, really. Now, we've also shown that other types of lager yeasts, L17 harvest, my favorite, there is a, a perceptible difference. There seems to be this perceptible difference than if you ferment it at 50 degrees versus 66 degrees or so Fahrenheit. I actually prefer the 66 degree fahrenheit beer it tastes more lagery to me and i don't i my my hypothesis on this is that if you ferment it warm it's actually because we know that warmer uh uh you know higher temperatures is correlated with quicker chemical reactions that you are actually getting the lagering effect which people you know think happens when you just cold condition that that's all occurring much quicker as you ferment it as opposed to fermenting it cold and then just reducing the temperature from there, all of that stuff's gonna take much longer because purely because of temperature. So I actually prefer, for example, L17 Harvest fermented at 66 more than I do fermented at 50 degrees and lager for four weeks. First off, I don't have to wait four weeks to drink it. Secondly, it's clear, crisp, tastes good. It meets all of my demands, right? And so that's one of those things that I'll just keep doing, even though there has been a significant difference. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, I don't know if, if it, it, what exactly explains what that is, but there's a lot of people out there who've been using Harvest or another one is K Bueno, which is the Mexican lager yeast group of Modelo, who are saying, we actually like this fermented warm. You know, it's better fermented warm. It's crisper. It's cleaner, which, you know, that doesn't make sense given the 1990s version of what you're supposed to do with lager yeast.
1: I had a follow-up question on that, uh, Marshall. Uh, why the heck is it so hard to find L17 Harvest?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so I I have been pressing our good friends Imperial Yeast. They are open to sending this stuff wherever they can, but they've got to have local homebrew shops that are that are open to to paying for it. And the reality is, uh, people have connections. You know, our local shop here in town is a white labs shop. And so I can't drive down there and get Imperial because they have their contract with white labs. People don't realize, and, and I get it. You, you'd think, well, why don't you just order some Imperial? When a homebrew shop opens up, they get a whole clientele that comes in and then they learn to expect what's, what's going to be there. So let's, you guys are all homebrewers. You know how this goes. You made a, a f- fantastic IPA using WLP one 20 years ago for the last 20 years, you've been using WLP one, right? I got to use it because that's what made this beer. Good. Now, all of a sudden new kid on the block, Imperial yeast comes in and saying, Hey, check it out. We offer more cells. We have, you know, this great yeast That homebrew shop owners going, do I want to sacrifice people's fear that it's not going to be as good, right? I honestly think that's what it is, and so it's this—it's just this slow evolution. The, the nice thing is, they are imperial yeast is growing like crazy right now. So I think you're going to start to see it in more and more local homebrew shops. It's just a matter of time. But one thing that you can do is order online. Go to GreatFermentations.com or MoreBeer.com. Both of those seem to have—I think Northern Brewer also does—seem uh, to have a really good selection of of imperial yeast.
2: And I'll go and plug it. If you go to the Brelocity website first, they do get a small kickback if you go to those links from there. And Marshall didn't have to plug it. I'll plug it for him.
0: Um, <laughs> Thank you, Will. Way anyway
2: to help you guys out. <laughs> um, so that's awesome. Yeah. And as far as the short and shoddy, um, I really encourage people to do that because uh, it, it does tell you what you can get away with on your brew day. I mean, I've I've submitted warm fermented with the fine strain at a 45 minute mash And scored in the high 30s with a Czech amber lager so um you can make good beer in those methods so so definitely check all that out and uh try it for yourself before you start passing judgment on what needs to happen or doesn't need to happen
0: well just Uh, to tag on to that i uh I, i scored a 42 in the 2016 nhc i believe for a vienna lager that was fermented at 66 degrees so put that together right and and that's the thing you know people asked there was that question earlier about you know people's i i i'm presuming that they were asking about the palates or the the tasting prowess of the people that we administer these tests to um we 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 ran a full uh comparison basically of uh, our first 33, <clears throat> our first 33 experiments and we broke it down by experience level. And by that, we just mean, are they a BJCP judge? Are they, you know, your, your typical Miller light drinker? Are they, uh, you know, have they been involved in homebrewing for a long time? Whatever it is. There was no significant differences in their abilities to distinguish these beers. So, it, it the this idea that well, if you were to serve a beer mashed at 148 versus one mashed at 60 to a trained I don't even know what that means but to a trained panel of tasters, they'd probably get it right. Whereas those plebes who just drink beer on the weekends, they're never going to. Well. First off, my question is, what do you consider yourself to be, <laughs> you know, are, 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 do you on because if everybody who is cr- criticized the way that we uh, that we collect data and who we collect data from, if all of them are seriously as good as they seem to think they are, then we'd be living in a world of some hyper good tasters, right? But the reality is most of the people that we serve these, these experiments to or the Hop Chronicles or the Short and Shoddy, whatever it might be, they all think they're pretty damn good tasters. You know, We all do. It's just a normal human thing. And and, and I get the knee-jerk reaction to think, but I know because I read in, in How to Brew, which we love John Palmer, by the way. Uh, but I read in there that if you don't do this, then this will happen. Or if you do this, this will happen. So it's, you're obviously you're wrong on this, you know, and I need to justify my belief in some way. It just doesn't work that way, you know?
2: Well, what's great is that we had John on and he talked about water. And so John Palmer's talking about water and pH and how important it is. And he's like, well, in spite of real philosophy coming up with the results to the contrary, this is what we know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He, he's a good friend. Uh, he, John has been to my house with his son and, uh, uh, you, you know, but I think all of us, um, kind of in this homebrewing with this weird homebrewing circle where we all communicate. I think all of us have this understanding that people don't recognize, right? There's no hate. No one's calling anybody out. We're all doing our own thing because we love this. And, and, and to be honest, John and I have talked about it. Um, everything we do is to keep homebrewing this rad thing that it is. It's not to prove anything. It's not to make anybody look better or worse than another person. It really is because we love brewing beer. That's it. Yeah.
2: No, yeah, he, he was an awesome guest to have. Um, and so we were, we're very thankful for, for having him on that's for sure. But it was just, it was a great comment that totally played in there. Um, I want to give you enough time to answer this. And then we have enough, a few other questions in the chat, but, um, from Instagram, we had um, Cascade Brewer on Instagram. He asked, "If not taboo, he wanted to know about how much money does philosophy actually make?" Based on Reddit, you guys are swimming in ad revenue. Given that all team members seem to have full-time jobs, and I suspect some, it's somewhere between enough to pay for my ingredients and enough to purchase a Ferrari. So, where's the Ferrari, Marshall?
0: <laughs> I believe he said enough to purchase a second Ferrari. Right? Is that? Uh... <laughs> well, none of us have Ferraris. I'll tell you that. Uh, it's a good question, and and you know I was always raised uh, to not talk about two things: politics and finances. You just don't talk about that. I've stuck to that. Uh, if you look, you know, if you follow us on Facebook, we've never gotten involved in all the political crap that's going on out there. In the same way, I don't like to talk about finances, but I get the concern. Reddit loves to whine about people making money off of working. I don't know why but they do. Um, and so, uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to give any specific numbers because it's constantly changing. Uh, but I would say that we definitely fall somewhere on that spectrum that this person gave, we fall a little bit closer to the not making much at all than we do t- the second Ferrari. Um, and th- you know, that's just because this is a very small niche market. Um, I, anybody who, Thinks that somebody in homebrewing, whether it be Gordon Strong or John Palmer or me, you know, or uh, you know Mike Tonsmeyer, the mad fermentationist. There's a reason he started a, a brewery, right? You don't do that if you're making millions of dollars off of your popular blog. It just doesn't make sense. Um, there's no, there's nobody making millions off of this. I don't, know, I don't know how else to put that. Do we profit off of what we do? That is the incentive, part of the incentive that keeps us going. Yes. Uh, do are, is anybody buying Ferraris with the money they make off of homebrewing? Absolutely not. Not even close. I'll tell you that. Um, we we enjoy what we do. The fact that we the fact that we get a little bit of sprinkling on the top of money to pay for beer when we go out with our friends, then yeah, if that bothers you, I don't know what to say. Um it, it's not much though, I'll tell you that. And it, it, there are times where, you know, all of us. Let's see. I believe all of us in the Brewlosophy crew right now are married. Most of us have kids. Every single one of us has a real career. And the fact that none of us have been able to stop doing what we normally do in real life uh, should be enough to prove that it's not like this is a a, a, a you know millionaire maker by any means whatsoever.
2: Uh, so what I'm hearing is that you're home brewers with benefits. Is that what I, is that what I'm hearing?
0: <laughs> yeah. Very, very limited benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Now I will say, you know, the, if for anybody to, you know, when you go out and you brew a batch of beer, you're doing it because it's your hobby. Brewlosophy has, has, you know, moved past the hobby stage and it's become a business. There's no denying that uh, for us to fake that it would be disingenuous. I think. So every time one of the contributors works their tail off, to brew two batches of beer side by side, something 99% of brewers would never want to do. Just ask the brew club, right? <laughs> you do that. And then after spending all that time brewing two batches of beer, now you got to go out and convince people to do a triangle test. And it, which oh, thank you. See daughter bringing me a beer. That's, that's what it should work. Um, <laughs> it, it's a pain in the butt and yet they go and do it. So yes, they get compensated. It is not a lot. uh, it, I'm not again. I'm not going to talk numbers, but I'm telling you, you'd probably laugh if you heard <laughs> what what they get paid for each article. So I, I just I don't know how else to put it. I'm not trying to to like minimize what we're doing. That that's a part of the reason I don't like talking about finances. We love this because we love brewing. It's almost embarrassing to talk about how much money isn't made <laughs> in doing this.
2: Well, I, I will say, as uh, someone that has written written an article now on your website and it's been published, and and I didn't get paid a dime for it. Like it is a lot of work, and to want to do like what—not one but two of those in a month—to try to get content for the website—that is a lot of work. And you would hope there is something there for you because, um, again, you're making all this beer and then you're giving most of it away, uh, and it yeah. may not even be. Then you want to drink because it's just trying to prove a variable. So that's. Um,
0: well, and and I feel like I appreciate you saying that, Will, because I remember you emailing me and being like, "This is way more than I thought it would be." So then imagine doing all of that work and feeling like, feeling pretty confident that you, you know, I, I think more than most brewers, we are neurotic about, you know, isolating the variable, doing the best that we can to keep uh, extraneous variables out of, you know, out, out of this whole thing, out of the equation. And then you, you go online and people are just shitting on you the whole time. Like, it's like you now, not only do you have to deal with brewing two batches, collecting all the data, writing the article, dealing with my dumbass uh, you know, editing your article, but now you have to deal with all of these people out there questioning what you did, which is fine, but it is, it's, it's a pain in the butt, you know? Well, I do
3: have a little
2: pride that I brewed back to back batches and it came back non-significant. That was, I was a little happy about that because that You means are that a very
0: consistent brewer, Will. Yes, I'll give you that. For one
2: time, for that one time. Yeah. Um, so now onto a really hard-hitting question. Uh, since we went from money to, uh, I mean, I think Will wants to know: Is eating a banana split or being able to do the splits more important to you?
0: <laughs> oh, oh, hands down, being able to do the splits, which I cannot do. Uh, but my daughter can. My youngest daughter is the, she came out a pretzel, and she has not changed since. I don't, I don't know what's up with her. But she's like a, she's like Jim Carrey, you know, when he like pulls his cheek. He's got, a, so she she's got the gift of uh, flexibility, which I don't have. So I, that's my answer: uh, being able to to, to make yourself a pretzel, I, I suppose.
2: I think I love that answer because you followed up immediately with, "Well, I can't do it, but I would totally love to do that." So
0: I wish I could. I was in I was in karate for two months, w- w- two of the worst months of my life, actually. But. um I was also eight years old, I think. Uh, And one of the things that our our sensei kept telling us was by the, you know, by the end of your time here, you'll be able to do the splits. I was always like eight inches off the ground, max or minimum, you know, so.
2: (laughs) Um, Hava wants to know what you were drinking. Right now? Yes.
0: So I've had two beers. Uh, I just poured my, my wonderful 12-year-old daughter, Hazel, just brought me a second beer. But the first beer that I started out with is actually Sir Lancelot, the flagship IPA from House of Pendragon Brewing Company, who's one block away from me. Uh, their tap room is, and it's absolutely delicious. So that's Lancelot. Uh, that is a 7% you know, classic West Coast IPA, clear, delicious, Um, one of my go-tos. But right now, what I just poured was one of the uh, newer Firestone Walker beers called Hopnosis IPA. Um, And it is absolutely delicious. 6.7%, again, really classic West Coast IPA. It's got a little bit of haze to it. You can kind of see, but it's mostly clear. And uh, has a lot of those, you know, classic kind of piney, citrusy flavors to it. So that's what I'm drinking on. Now, I will say prior to starting this, i had a triple ipa and a uh a hop gnosis as well with some friends uh tim and paul actually paul who does the hop chronicles
2: that's awesome paul seems like a pretty cool guy so he's uh, a
0: dork don't don't no he's not yeah no i love him (laughs) he's like a brother
2: i'm I'm an engineer who's into (laughs) beer and i follow a brewing science podcast so uh so anyways, <laughs> pot, pot in the kettle, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, he's a, he's a water guy though. He's a, that's the nice thing. That's actually one of the ways that we got really close is that he works with our local water guy. And Paul was going to house of Pendragon. This had to have been God nine years ago now was going there. And Brad Gaines, who is now the head brewer at Crow and Wolf was a server at, at Pendragon. This is small town stuff. Right. And he texted me one day. He's like, there's this guy drinking beer at the bar you're going to love him, And I was like, that's weird. Why are you texting me this? And he's like, dude, you got to trust me. Come in here as soon as you get home. So I bounce over there and I meet Paul. And, uh, that again, that was like seven, eight, maybe nine years ago. And here we are, he's over at my house all the time. He's like our third or fourth child. Really? Uh, <laughs> we feed him dinner 90% of the time.
2: That's awesome. So, so speaking of Paul, is there any like future in like a, um, I know you you mentioned they might be truncated, but like hop chronicles kind of podcasts, or maybe double downing and doing two hops in the same hour.
0: Uh, Is there a possibility of that? Yes. The, the, I'll I'll be honest. My, my biggest concern with that is that uh, the shows would probably be a bit shorter. I wouldn't want to put two hop varieties together. I would want to just focus on one and I, and I kind of like, Uh, the format that we currently have, which is kind of your intro section or segment. And then the second one where you talk specifically about uh, the variable and then the third segment where you talk about what you found, right? What we found in that variable. So for the hop chronicles podcast, it would have to be, or for that series, it would not be its own, its own podcast. It would have to be talking just specifically about the hop in that second segment and what the industry says you you're going to perceive perceive and then also maybe like you know oil concentrations and stuff like that and then in that third segment would be talking about the results that we got from the hop chronicles i actually think it would work it's just a matter of (laughs) paul travels for his real job he's again he's a water engineer guy uh and he's here three days per week and that's it so it'd be a matter of like we have to nail down that at this time on this day every week we're going to sit down and record and that's just been difficult so far
2: well, and it's such a cool idea because there are so many different hops out there. They're literally coming out with new ones every year, all the time. And so I, I think a lot of us would find that really interesting to hear that info about new hops, especially.
0: Well, I agree. And and that that's a big part of the motivation for us to get this going. Um, again, I, I feel, and I hate to blame everything on COVID, but there, with COVID, it's just been this thing where it's like, let's just maintain, let's make sure we don't lose anything. Let's just maintain. Um, I would, I, we are good friends with James Spencer, Steve Wilkes from basic, basic, brewing radio. They have a wonderful hop series. I'm not sure if they're still doing it. Um, but they, I think they go over like three hop varieties per episode when they do it. And they're all single hop brewed beers, kind of like the hop chronicles. And they're giving a lot more of a subjective, you know, their subjective perceptions of this beer. Um, but, but if, if that's what you're, if that's what you're wanting, I, I can't promote and, 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 you know, encourage people to listen to basic broom radio more. They're awesome people.
2: Well, I know we're trying to honor your time. Um, I'm, I'm going through the chat and I found another question here from Nate. I'm going to see if I can do it justice. It's kind of a long one. So uh, hang with me. Um, but he, he says that, you know, you have, he knows you have a long list of experiments that have to be done incrementally, meaning you, you start at a spot and then you have to go to the next test and the next test mm. Uh, to determine whether ingredient or method makes a difference at all, and then determine the magnitude of the differences that are perceptible. Have you considered having individual contributors take an experimental thread all the way through back to back to back to back and reporting all of that at once?
0: I am not sure I understand that question.
2: I, I think it is. So what was the the recent one? Um, it was like uh, peat smoked malt. And so you okay. start out with a baseline. And so if you just had, um that one contributor do the first one and then the second one and instead of waiting maybe months in between doing these experiments just making sure that they're doing like week after week after week after week I think I mean it gotcha. right. please correct me if I'm wrong
0: <laughs> if, okay so if that's what you're asking uh you will notice that uh this is kind of an aside but you will notice that um the we did three or maybe even four cold side oxidation articles in a row we had a, a brewlosophy experiment that was cold side oxidation, a TBC, a brew club experiment that was cold side oxidation, and the article that drops this Monday, which I, which I know is after the fact, but uh, is this cold side oxidation experiment. And so usually – and this, is, this is, has way more to do with the content creator side of, of my thinking than it does with the brewing side – we try to break things up to keep people interested because you start to see the same thing. You get bored and they, you know, you got to think about that kind of stuff. So I guess my answer to that is no, uh, we, we have not really thought about doing um, iterative things from, you know, week to week, to week, to week, because of the fact that I I think one, the brewer would get bored. The contributor would probably get bored with it, but I think most readers would probably be like, all right, are we going to move on to something else at some point? Um, and so that, that really is kind of our, our reasoning for, breaking things up as much as we do now there have been times where we've had a contributor do say um I, I believe it was about five years ago i did the first one of the first cold side oxidation tests but my my initial assumption was that my the way that i was kegging back then which was by running a, a tube down to the bottom of my keg with the open top and filling from the bottom up that that was low oxidation well we've, we've since realized that that's not the case at all but I, you know, I did that, and then I stored those kegs, and I, I put them away for four weeks or whatever it was, and then we recollected data. There are times where we do that kind of stuff, where it's the same batch of beer, and we want to we want to retest it after time or whatever. But you, again, you got to, you know, that's all that's all planned out, and and you, you can't publish that stuff two weeks in a row. Um, and I think maybe I'm wrong, but I think for the most part uh, breeders would probably get, get kind of bored with that if, if it was the same stuff focused on week after week.
2: So I, I know we've taken up an hour of your time. I don't know how much more time you have to spend with us. Are you up for one more question? Two more questions?
0: Yeah, let's do two more questions. That'd be perfect.
2: Okay, cool. Um, so this is a shameless plug for the brew club, but here you are in a brew club chat, but, um, where you see brew club is we're trying to duplicate some of these experiments. Some of them are doing things that Brewlosophy philosophy, um, I don't know, for whatever reason, um, isn't doing at the present, you know, where do you see brew club experiments fitting into this whole philosophy kind of
0: everything we're up to? Uh, I'll tell you that the, the people who are out there. So, well, I, I guess I should preface it with this. The brew club experiment series. That is something that we're very, very proud of. We love the fact that there are people out there who want to repeat experiments that we've done. Uh, and then have them publish, and we're so happy to publish that on the website. Um, one, it gives us something to publish, and, and that which is always awesome. You ask any any content creator, you want stuff to publish, but but the coolest part is that you've got these people who are dedicated to doing it. Uh, uh, Matt Skillstat, you know, K. Job used to be a Brew Club member. I mean, he still is a Brew Club member, uh, but you know, he he that that's how I discovered who this guy is, and we met, and he's now a, a contributor at BrewLosophy. The fact that there are people out there who want to repeat stuff that we've done um, with as much controls as they can in their homebrewing, you know, their homebrewing garage or whatever it might be, I think is amazing. Um, The primary purpose, the way that I see it, at least, the primary role that the Brew Club serves in, in terms of repeating experiments is to replicate, 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 replicate. One of the biggest things in science is, oh, you've, you found this once, but would that, will that happen again? If you were to repeat the experiment, we look to the brew club and we say, Hey, you guys do it, do it again. See, we're going to do it at some point, but we want to see what happens when, you know, people who aren't perceived as being, you know, these, these home brewers who are hyper controlled and we do things the way that we do, we want to, we want regular, quote unquote, regular homebrewers to repeat these experiments. And so to me, that that is such an important aspect of, of what we're doing because that is science, right? Is, is doing it over and over again. And the more that we see, you cannot say, and I, again, till I'm blue in the face, I've said this, one experiment result does not a principle make. That is the truth. If you read one of our results and you're like, that means I don't slash or do, right? Have to do this. Then you're taking what we're doing the wrong way. It just means, oh, that's interesting that they didn't seem to find significance there or that they did here. Maybe you want to apply it. Thankfully, we're not in the in the field of cancer, right? <laughs> this is just beer. So it's not like you're going to ruin a batch. It, it's just beer. So the, the, the beauty of the role that the brew club plays is that they are replicating these experiments. And, and that is, to me, that is so awesome. Uh, there aren't many people out there who are willing to invest at least that I've, you know, come across are willing to invest the time, the energy and the money, right. In brewing two batches of beer to see if there's a difference based on one small little variable.
2: Well, and I'm happy, um, that we can help you repeats and processes get you some more data because I, I do think that is valuable if you do value science you value repeatability and it does give you a lot more validation if you're able to repeat um, results than if you're not able to uh, and so I, I'm going to mispronounce this name but I believe it's Kai Eric and uh, he asked probably the most popular question you get asked probably is what results have impacted your brewing choices the most and I and I dare you to expand on something other than water
0: <laughs> well that's what i was gonna say so uh without question i will expand on more but i without question uh i was i don't actually think that there's been a variable that we've tested that i've had such a strong opinion about um a, a, as water uh i i was fully convinced about six years ago i was fully convinced that you know what you read from from all of the big names in brewing gordon strong uh, Jamil jameel uh, John Palmer, they're they're all saying if you have good water, brew with it. it. Doesn't matter, right? I read what what I perceived from that was you're not going to taste a difference as long as you don't have chlorine or chloramine in your water. Well, lo and behold, we've done multiple experiments that show even small differences in chloride, sulfate levels, you know, mineral levels in general will produce a perceptible difference. That has changed the way that I view uh, brewing beer and and the you know adjusting your water chemistry. Absolutely an important thing for me. Let's see if I go away from that. Um, the thi- I All you have to do is look at the short and shoddy series to see, you know, my answer to that. I've made some of the best beers of my life, dead serious. Go look at the American wheat beer, short and shoddy. That was one of the best beers I've ever made. And it was made in under two hours. You know, um, I, I abbreviated mash, abbreviated boil, uh, hop additions in the kettle, happening at weird times pitching warm fermenting uh fermenting with a lager yeast at, at ale temperatures all of that stuff those are things where i i no longer hang my hat on you know being the proud home brewer who gets to tell you what you're doing wrong no now i'm looking back and going whoa You know, if, if your beer is screwed up, it's probably one of two things, your water chemistry, which, you know, goes back to the first question. Uh, but also it could be that, that, uh, you're, you have a contamination and that, that is, those are the two things I look at every time I taste a bad beer. The first, the first kind of thought that I go to is either your water chemistry is bad, which usually means that I'm tasting chlorophenols, which is, you know, an issue with chlorine and chloramine, or you got a contamination. Otherwise, most beers are are at least drinkable, right? And so, uh, I guess I get I don't I don't know how close to an answer that is, but but uh, yeah, so it'd probably be you know mash length, uh, fermentation temperature <laughs> when using lager yeasts, um, and uh, pitching temp. And I don't I haven't pitched a starter. I mean, I I'm lucky enough to have access to fresh imperial yeast, but I haven't pitched a starter in probably four years at this point.
2: I would say first to piggyback on your water comment, like for me personally, when I hear John Palmer say, if your water is good enough to drink, it's good enough to brew with. I think for beginners, that's kind of good because again, you're you're not going to be jumping into water chemistry in your first brew. That's that's pretty over your head. So when you're reading how to brew, that seems like a, one of those really high end concepts that I think at the, at the end of the journey, like that is the thing that makes your beer
0: amazing. I, I have a feeling that when – John was writing how to brew and when, when Gordon, you know, is talking to, to homebrewers that they, that there's this, I've not asked them about this, but that there's this kind of tendency to couch it uh, in this, you know, that, that, that these people that you're talking to are going to be new brewers. And, and I get that because uh, a lot of the people who reach out to me, <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually. I'll, I'll forward the emails that I get to the whole crew. And it's uh, it, only because I, I love that the first line is always, I've been brewing for fill in however many months that's less than a year, <laughs> right? I've been brewing for four months and uh, you know I'm, I want to make, I've, I get daily, I get questions like this. And I, so I understand that, that there's a reason that these people are writing the way that they are um to new brewers. And if that's the case, then yes, if you have water that tastes good, you can brew with it. But if you want to make a, a an American a West Coast IPA that's crisp, that has all of those characteristics that you get from say Firestone Walker Union Jack or Pliny the Elder or something like that, then you're gonna have to consider, I did not believe this before, and this is my answer to that question. You're going to have to mess around with your water. I promise you, because you if you go high chloride, I guarantee you, you're gonna be drinking something that tastes warm in your mouth, has much more malt character, and 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 I don't, it's like, we can push the water stuff as much, the harder we push, the more people push back, so I try not to go overboard on it, Water chemistry matters. I have fully changed my mind on that. That is the biggest change that I've made in my brewing.
2: I think John Palmer 100% agrees with you though, because he has a whole book written on the subject <laughs> called water <laughs> sure of all things. He has his own. Uh, you can go download his app. I'm not trying to push John Palmer stuff, guys, but
0: you can go We download- love Palmer. Push it. Yeah.
2: You, you can download his app about water chemistry. So obviously he believes that it makes a difference. Um, otherwise he wouldn't have published a whole book about it um but I do have to agree like probably beginners yeah couch it but as soon as you thanks for the the the, the sign Alex showing show the showing the John Palmer book uh, yeah, I've got mine you,
0: right next to me as well yeah but once you
2: get past but like once you get to the point where you really want to make a great West Coast IPA or great hazy IPA whatever you're right. going for 100 percent water matters so much
0: I think to to be honest with you I feel like there are certain styles that have been defined by the water that the the those original brewers of that style had available to them you look at uh you look at Guinness I mean we all know that they had a specific style of water that made that beer what it is today now yeah they they sour beer and add it back in and do all that but hazy IPA versus West Coast IPA one of the biggest differences there now again we're not trying to 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 minimize the fact that they do dry hopping differently or whatever or use different yeast, but one of the biggest differences is the water chemistry. And and if you if you were to go and make a West Coast IPA, and split that batch, and in one of them you did high chloride to sulfite or sulfate, excuse me, <clears throat> and the other one you did high sulfate to chloride, you you will taste a difference. I promise you. We've done it, and it's it's wild, and it actually makes the beer look different as well. I did an experiment probably four years, four or five years ago. Where all I did, it was the same exact beer, 10-gallon batch, all I did was split them into kegs, and then I added some some gypsum to one and some calcium chloride to the other one. And the whole idea was get them to about the same levels, right? So about the same PPM of sulfate as I did the same PPM of uh chloride. Those beers were drastically different and they looked different. That's wild to me. Just because this tiny little amount of mineral that you're adding. You know these salts that you're adding to the beer it's just crazy
2: it's like less than 10 grams that you're messing with between the chloride and sulfate and it's and it way,
0: way less we're talking like i think it was like three or four grams like max <laughs> in a five gallon batch of beer and and you're looking and you're going wow not only do they look different but they taste phenomenally different and that's one of the things you know we we stand on the shoulders of giants right that's that's the whole idea is that we are lucky enough in the day and age that we're in to have had people who came way before us who are no longer with us but who documented what they were finding the observations they were making and and you know they're saying oh yeah that's where we got the idea that if you have high chloride you're going to get more malt character a rounded malt character a uh, warm you know a warm biscuity thing if if that's what you're looking for whereas if you go high sulfate you're going to get that emphasized hop character that sharpness that has panned out to be true so far in what we've been testing and i love that you've got this subjective reports of what people are 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 you know reporting from hundreds of years ago all the way through to today where we're actually testing it out and it, and it's you know validating those ideas i love it I, that's so cool to me
2: and It sounds like a great way for the uh, brew club to put a few more experiments out there and keep validating those results guys. So if y'all want to get on that, feel free to do it.
0: Amen. Amen to that. Got a well, man, we, we really appreciate
2: your time. We appreciate you coming to hang out with us. It, we really have enjoyed it. Uh, for all the things you hated about this, please email feedback at philosophy.com. <laughs> for all the things you liked about this, you can uh, message me on, uh,
3: <laughs> on Facebook.
2: But thank you so much, Marshall. You're awesome, man. We appreciate it. You obviously have inspired a lot of people here in this group. Um, and so we, we really do appreciate you coming on and chatting with us.
0: Yeah. I love what you guys are doing with this as you know, the, the, the guy behind Brewlosophy and the fact that you guys are the brew club, I think is so amazing that you guys have taken this and made, made, made of it what you have. Uh, and I, and I look forward to seeing where it goes in the future.
2: Thanks, man. We really appreciate you. Um, I think Marshall's got a date to get to or something. You got a hot date, right? I,
0: her, her name's Laura. She's my wife, and yes, I do. Yeah.
2: Hey, that's the best <laughs> kind of date is a hot date with your wife. So That's uh,
0: right.
2: So we appreciate you, brother. Guys, if y'all want to hang out, I know Marshall's got to get, but uh, we appreciate you, brother.
0: Yeah, cheers, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: Yep, cheers.
3: Thank you. Cheers. So quick shout-out right, to guys. anyone that's staying on here. The water adjustment app is – Brewing Water Adjustments by Palmer. It quickly replaced brewing water for me. I did one batch on it and it it is so easy. It is so fantastic to work with. Brewing water is kind of a pain in the butt until you get the hang of it. That app is wonderful. So I've completely ditched brewing water once I picked that up.
4: On that note, Grainfather now does water chemistry. So if you're, if you're brewing on a Grainfather, you can put your water chemistry straight in there and it Pulls it right into your recipe and uh, brews off it. Oh, I didn't know that. I I use the Brewfather app. Just basically, I kind of switched
2: to Brewfather based on the fact that they still had water chemistry integrated into it. I switched from BeerSmith to that, but that's just. And I did it before Philosophy ever got um, sponsored by them or started pushing, so that I was way cooler than them before them.
3: (laughs) On one thing, haven't tried the Brewfather stuff yet. I'll, I'll be curious to compare it. Well, guys, I, I have about this much
2: beer left, so I'm happy to drink. I, I switched over to a, uh, a Deschutes Black Butte Imperial Porter, somewhere in the <laughs> middle of that whole podcast from wine to there. We'll see how I'm feeling later. Uh, uh, but I'm happy to finish this beer with you guys. Y'all can chat about whatever you want, take yourselves off mute, sing a chorus. I don't care.
3: What's everyone drinking?
4: <clears throat> I'm drinking an old man
1: It's nearly a, midday.
4: That's nearly midday, so I'm about to go to the pub here in Australia. That is an alt, by the way. That's oh. the old and the old man.
3: Oh that's man, Kai the, Eric's a little bit festival, actually. So you know, trying to uh, take it light on this call here was uh trying all sorts of stuff today. So overall, good. nice way to end the day. Fantastic.
1: Yep, and I just finished up a spotted cow. So my new Glarus cup.
3: Hey, no way. <laughs> gotta get a fresh shipment out to you.
1: Oh yeah. I still got six left from Chris. I'm really trying to space them out over the course of a year, probably.
3: You, you let me know, I'll send you some out. Absolutely. I'll have to send something back. Oh I Will and I just did a, a swap and I gotta get I got cabin fever sitting here for him. I'm waiting to collect a couple more, and then I'm sending some of his way. Let
2: I me see. know when it's on his way, and I'll go grab some blue owl and send it your way. I know
4: you're you're willing you oh. wanting to try some blue owl. Yes. Has Has anyone brewed up their? <laughs> that's um,
1: true. I'll uh, probably walk away.
4: <laughs> what was My that, Doug? We grew- missed you, buddy. Has anyone else uh, taken a shot at the average brew yet?
3: Mine's coming tomorrow.
4: I um, uh, mine's, mine, mine's, mine's about three days into fermentation. I pulled a sample off Had some people over the other day, and I told them I said, don't drink a lot of it because I can see the yeast. But you're welcome to sample yeast. it. And uh, there's a lot of really positive response on it so far.
2: Fantastic. It looks like just an old school solid APA
4: recipe to me. I, I, mean, add, I, 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 add, I added a half. I added a half ounce of orange peel, sweet orange peel into mine. Oh, cool. So mine's gonna be a pale orange.
3: I think that's that's gonna be the cool part. Is everyone kind of adding their own twist? And when when that announcement comes this week, you guys are all gonna want to submit yours. It's gonna be a pretty dang cool. Well, if you want to tease it to all eight people that are here, feel free. I'm I was happy. gonna say there, there's. <laughs> non-leadership guys here that and we all know about it so marshall has agreed to bring in justin and tim and do an average bruise episode on the podcast so we're gonna we're gonna put out a post put out the call for people who want to send their beers in if there's more than we're we're have to cap it at 10 because of course we don't want to get those guys you know super drunk so if there's more than 10 then we'll have to do sort some sort of lottery system to to pick the 10 that'll be submitted into the the show. And then if you get picked, you get to send your beer into the show and they're going to review it live on air. They're going to drink it and then they're going to rank it. And there's a possibility of, of something else happening after that. So it's going to be pretty. Would it, make,
4: would it make sense to have us send in more than one bottle and then have a, a weeding, a weeding down process. That way someone who knows what they're tasting can say, okay, well, this one um, is oxidated. Let's make sure we get the, of the group that comes in, the 10 that, are going to be good representations i think it's like, i would uh, recommend that anyways because
2: because if you send three in and one turns out to be oxidated shit, at least you got two others that could potentially be good
3: yeah i'm not sure i haven't i've been talking with marshall about it we got to go ahead to to collect the names and get get the whole thing started but as far as how many bottles he wants, like i'm not sure um but that's going to be fantastic to have a we're going to have a TBC. You know, episode with this, and then another one for average brews. Probably, I don't know when we'll send it in. Probably in March, at some point, we'll send some bottles into him, and then I don't know when they'll we'll drink them and record. But that's gonna be pretty sweet. Cool.
2: <laughs> yeah, just so I saw your message about fucking another question, Haven. I'm sorry, I totally missed it.
3: <laughs> no, no worry. I I wanted to know if during any of their experiments has a contributor or Marshall himself whether due to human error or infection or whatever had one of their batches go south and they just couldn't like, what did they do? Did that just go on the back mm-hmm. on the back of the list to get redone or what? I'd, I'd be curious. I've never heard of kind of a failed they, experiment. Yeah. They've,
4: they've, they've mentioned that on the, on their shows. Um, For real?
1: That, a um,
4: a ago. Secondary that sometimes, sometimes they'll forget to, to put in an ingredient or sometimes, you know, they've had, they've had, it's, it's, they call it the something effect. One of the contributors who has more and more than one occasion.
1: I think it's an array is what they call it.
4: He had another name for it too
2: though where like if the if like the, the brew just goes so fucking